Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs advance society, and this podcast is definitively part of that effort. Today, we've got Adam Nathan, the co-founder and CEO of Almanac on. Almanac is a SaaS platform that helps teams interact and manage workflow. Um, it's a cool product, but, but really interestingly, he's really an expert on remote work and managing distributed teams. Um, he's philosophical about it, brought up some points that remote or in-person, it's kind of all the same. He's calling it internet work. Uh, and we dive into some really interesting best practices for how to manage the human elements of teams while they're distributed. Uh, so I found this to be a very insightful conversation. If you're at the top of an org, uh, in HR or otherwise, this is probably going to be a good listen for you. Enjoy. All right, Adam, what's up, man? Thanks for being here. Good to see you. Uh, can we start off at the top? You want to give us a little overview of Almanac, what you're building? Sure. Well, Almanac is a structured collaboration platform. And what we mean by that is it's really an all-in-one place uh, for building out uh, asynchronous uh, workflows for, for basic types of collaboration. Uh, you know, most people these days are writing in online document editors, but uh, trying to get basic tasks done <laughs> isn't basic at all. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you want to get feedback on uh, sales contracts or a proposal, if you need approvals on marketing copy or engineering RFPs, if you want to share out new knowledge or, or SOPs, um, you can't just push a button in a tool. It often takes uh, you know, hundreds of messages on Slack or on email, uh, lots of different meetings. It can take up most of your week just to get basic things done. Uh, and so what we built at Almanac is a tool that with uh, structured workflows for feedback and approvals and sharing um, so that uh, there's a lot of transparency uh, around the work uh, and you can cancel meetings and, and spend your time on, on stuff that matters instead. You're, you're building in a really kind of contentious space, right? Like for tech people, a lot of us have acclimated to this remote world, but there, even within our industry, uh, there's some pretty serious feelings around whether or not people should be in the office or not. Uh, I've got buddies who run major financial institutions. Uh, the sentiment over there seems to be a little bit weighted to the other side of what you hear in our world. Um, I, I wanted to, I mean, you're thinking about remote work and collaboration in a way that probably most of us aren't because you're building product for it. So you're, you're down the rabbit hole. Yep. What's your take on the state of play? Like, where are we post COVID and now? And does remote work make sense? Does it work? What's your take? Yeah, you know, I, I think that this uh, debate that's mostly happening on Twitter between, between remote and office, it, it's not just tired. I, I think it's irrelevant because if you, if you think about it, even before COVID, uh, if, if you were in an office, as a lot of us were, we were, we were working online. We were working in uh, real-time document editors like Google Docs or Microsoft Teams. We were communicating on Slack. We were attending meetings on Zoom. And in fact, most companies at scale, like uh, global corporations, were distributed, were, were operating remotely even before it was cool. And I think what COVID uh, and the pandemic did for a lot of people is it made us realize, oh, because we're already online, we actually don't have to be in the same place. Uh, and so I think that's why um, the, the benefits of remote work, the flexibility it brings, uh, the how it enables focus and flow for people have just make work better, uh, especially for regular employees. And I think that's why you see um, this uh, a, a lot of the labor, so to speak, <laughs> 
uh, resisting the return to the office, wanting to to stay remote because it enables them to do their jobs better and um, and and improve their own productivity. I think there's this kind of classic uh, tension between capital and labor, where you know people who um, run big businesses have uh, only managed or led in um, environments where they can control people's presence. Uh, those same people may be invested in corporate real estate or other businesses. I think uh, there's there's a kind of a natural reflex to go back to the way things were, because I think there's incentives there um, or just muscle memory. But uh, you know, I, I don't like the term remote because what we're really talking about is internet work. And if you think about the transition we've we've made over the last twenty years, is is, is a big transition from the physical world. <laughs> To the digital world with the internet, and in a lot of ways, especially on the consumer side, um, the benefits we get from you know internet tools um, and internet products is just like a standard deviation better than anything we got in the physical world. And I think the same thing is true about internet work versus office work. I don't think we're going back to the office in the same way. I think um, you know internet work is better for everybody, and so I, I think this is a, a a force of disruption that can't be turned around and. Um, and so I think a lot of this kind of uh, return to the office speak is kind of like the last gasp uh, or, or, or kind of a, a natural resistance to this um, inevitable force of change that's just sweeping how work is done. Yeah, and I, I think this is about to play out. It already has started a big way in the markets validating what you're saying. Uh, commercial real estate, we're already seeing a lot of material bankruptcies, but a lot of my friends who are investors in that world are expecting 24 to be a bloodbath. So there, there is this anticipation that more to come on the impact of commercial real estate occupancy plummeting and staying low. But there's yeah. also, on the other side, there are a lot of people who are thoughtful and forward-thinking um, who are seeing gaps with the remote work, right? Um, my personal experience was I was really scared when COVID hit. I thought, you know, it was going to, bring our operation to a little bit of a halt and it didn't we accelerated but we did lose a little something there was some human dimension that was lost uh working from your home office or your bedroom or wherever it may be um uh what what have you seen as like the real cons of this i know i know you're a proponent for it but the reality is nothing's black and white in this world uh, what are the real cons as this is kind of shaken out, getting away from the hype and hysteria? What, what, what's the real, real? Yeah, I mean, our our thesis at Almanac, the reason we started the company is that we think where we work has changed, but how we work hasn't. Um, and, you know, yeah, and to that end, I think we're only like halfway through this transition to internet work where, yeah, we've all realized that, um, you know, we can we can work remotely. <laughs> Um, there's benefits of hiring people across the world for individuals. There's more, uh, you know, flexibility and focus in how they can structure their days. Um, but you know, e even now that we're often spread across time zones and geographies, the way we work is still largely still largely reflects uh, this idea that like we're actually all in the same place from nine to five, and so um, we're still using the same mechanisms like meetings and messages to try and get stuff done. And and I think it's overloading everybody because. Uh, People's, people's calendars now are just filled with this kind of overhead work instead of having actual time because we're overusing uh, tools that were designed for the office, not tools that were designed for the internet. And when we've talked to the best teams um, around that that have really mastered how to work on the internet, uh, the, the themes that we've seen are that these are teams that work with a lot more structure um, so that people don't have to ask questions and be in meetings all the time. Uh, they work with a lot more transparency so people can answer things on their own and get the information they need to do their jobs. 
um, and they work with a lot fewer meetings as a result. And so um, they end up being faster, <laughs> even though they're distributed uh, rather than slower. And, and so I think for, for people who are still struggling with remote, I think it often comes from this tension where they're not in an office anymore. They may be spread apart, but they're still working like they're in an office. And so they've, they have one foot uh, into the internet, but like one foot stuck in the office. Um, and, and I think uh, a lot of the teams that will win in this new era will figure out how to work well um, on the internet. You know, I think to the, to the point you brought up about human connection, um, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious implication of uh, working remotely, remote is not a location, right? It's an absence of one. So you're not together all the time. Uh, and I think um, part of being structured and intentional and thoughtful as a remote team is to think, well, how do we create connection? How do we make the synchronous time we're spending together really great? Um, you know, how do we bring people together physically? One thing I hear a lot uh, as a pushback to remote is like, oh, but, you know, creative work happens so much better when we're in an office. And I mean, I've talked to like thousands of people about how to do brainstorming. <laughs> and I think everyone who's listening can probably imagine or remember a time that um, you've been in a terrible in-person brainstorm where you're like you enter a room, the question you're solving isn't clear, the loudest voice ends up dominating, you don't make a decision, you leave with uh, without next steps, it just feels like a complete incineration of like 30 to 60 minutes. And the the way to do brainstorming, uh, well, it is often reflects like a bunch of structured best practices. You have a specific question, you give people time to brainstorm on their own, you group ideas together and vote on them, make a decision, you, you assign action into the end of the meeting. You know, you can do that in person, you can do that uh, remotely, you can do that in a meeting, you can do that asynchronously. So, you know, I think a lot of... Uh, um, this bid for connection doesn't have as much to do with like, we all need to be together all the time, as much as it has to do with being thoughtful and intentional and structured about uh, how you interact and how you manage. And I think remote often just exposes uh, how teams are actually running because it takes away all of the like, uh, the theatricality of the office, all of like, you know, the meetings and the water coolers and the lunches. And it just shows like, are you actually operating well? And so I think what's what's happening, what you see with remote teams now are that Good teams, well-managed teams are operating better and faster. And teams that <laughs> were not managed well before um, are, are falling apart. And you know, I think for, for those leaders and those managers, they have a choice. They can either recognize reality and say, how do we get better at managing? How do we get better at collaboration? <laughs> or they can ignore it and say, like, let's just go back to the office where we can paper over all that again. And, and I think teams that try and regress um, back to a world where this function was masked by all this all this stuff, um, all this overhead is, you know, they will ultimately lose. I, I agree with so much of that. There's one thing I do want to put a, a question mark on, though. I personally found it wasn't a functional question. We just lost some of the human touch. Um, there's a layer of friendship in our team. Mm -hmm. And when we went to remote, we were faster. I think we fell into that camp of you probably were missing some elements of structure, but we had enough to where the machine accelerated. Yeah. But after a couple of years, I didn't know who people were dating or what was going on in their life because the meetings were so punchy, right? We were off. There was none of that small talk. Um, and it's not natural to do the small talk always on the Zoom dynamic. Uh, we, our approach to this at Interplay has been, um, you know, what's, it's worked for us pretty well. I don't know that it's right by any means is we do one day a week where everyone's required to be in the office. And every other day is completely optional. Some people are there every day. I'm probably in three, four days a week. Some people are there on that one day. And it's, it, it tends to correlate a little bit with not only commute, but if they have families. 
the younger folks who don't have families tend to live in smaller apartments and they're more excited to get out of those and go to the office. The people with longer commutes and more space and kids like that uh, commute time back to have dinner with the family. There's a pretty clear correlation on that. I get it. Um, the second we started showing up in the office again, the friendships really warmed up and it took a few months to get back to where it was. But even that one day a week was fairly magical for us. Um, you guys, I'm assuming, are fully remote on your team. I mean, okay. yeah, we have, we have people kind of from, given. Uh, from Turkey to Hawaii. So, right. How do, you, how do you get the friendship element? Forget the functional stuff. That's, there's tactics and there's technicalities for that. And maybe you don't need it. Maybe that's another headline. It's like some teams, not everyone's going to be friends, and that's okay. But we, we do have a strong bond at our firm. Well, I think you're exactly right. I, you know, I think people um, leave jobs often because they they lack friends at work or they hate their manager <laughs> at the, at the root of it. And so, I think um, building strong connections where people can see and value and trust and respect each other as people as humans is is critical to building a strong team, retaining great employees, producing business value. So, it's um, I, I think it's I think it's a really important question. Uh, and you know, I. I secretly love offices. <laughs> um, you know, even though we're a fully remote team, I, I love offices because I'm a super extroverted person. Um, you know, I've always had a lot of friends from the places I've worked. Uh, and you know, when I started Almanac, I I fantasized about the kind of office that we would build and like the bookshelves and the light and the couches and the happy hours. Um, and so, you know, as we become fully remote, we've we spent a lot of time thinking about this question of how do we build connection between the team? Uh, and we do it in, in, in a couple of different ways. Um, the first is retreats. And so we try and bring people together um, about three or four times a year. Um, we do this in a couple of different forms. One are kind of team-based sprints, often around like a project where we get together and kind of like hotbox it for a week. And we built something really cool that we couldn't have otherwise done remotely. And everyone feels great by the end of it. Um, we do uh, company retreats or larger retreats that are more cultural-based. Um, we have one coming up in Costa Rica in September. Um, and last year, we implemented what we call co-working weeks. Um, which we're bringing together people um, cross-functionally from different teams without a business agenda. Um, and we, we basically gave people a stipend to get to a location. We did them in Greece and Tuscany and uh, Palm Springs and New Orleans. And the idea was there to, was to kind of replicate like those great happy hours you go to where you might have like three or four or five drinks and stay till eight or nine and really get to know someone well. Um, you know, there's lots of happy hours in offices, but we thought like, you know, there's often like one or two or three a year where people are really building those types of connections, the, the kind of friendships that you talked about that last um, over a long time. Uh, and so we think bringing people together three or four times a year and really focusing um, those, uh, those in-person moments on relationships can start to build the kind of connections that, um, that buoy people up even when they're not together. Uh, we also do a couple things in a distributed form, one is that we start most meetings with a kickoff question and it sounds so cheesy, but we have like a library of like a thousand questions now. Things like, what's your favorite color? Or what did you want to be when you grow up? Or describe your perfect Saturday. And that just brings the human element into the meeting and starts the meeting with us all recognizing, oh, we're real people. We're not just going to jump into the, the things we have to do. Um, and, it, and it definitely elevates, <laughs> I think, the tenor and the warmth in the meeting after. We also have something called Almanac Community Dialogues, where cohorts of Almanac employees um, spend, I think, 10 to 12 weeks together, um, two hours a week uh, in this kind of protected time um, where they talk about like big life questions. And there's a, a set curriculum on things like love and work and purpose and meaning and family. Um, and, and we, as a company, make an investment in this. We make sure that 
people who are in the cohort, um, you know, aren't disturbed during this time. It's like a phone off as kind of, you know, digitally off as you can be <laughs> being remote. But, you know, we've seen from the data that those uh, people love that experience because they really get to know, um, you know, people as people, even even over a Zoom. Um, and we have extremely high retention from employees in general, a very high uh, retention overall. I think it's like 96% of all the employees that we've hired. Um, but we have extremely high retention from folks that have been through um, Almanac Community Dialogues because it really helps them feel like uh, they understand the why behind the person. Uh, and, and even in business meetings, when you're like, oh, it, it helps to contextualize why somebody said something or why somebody did something when you understand like how they became the person they become. And so you know, we, we've, those are all experiments that we've done over time to try and figure out how we build this type of connection, uh, even in a remote environment. That's great. Uh, and I know, obviously, you're probably dogfooding your own platform. Are there other tools that you think are really important that remote teams should use to supplement the experience? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, ironically, I'm a tool minimalist. I use like Apple Notes uh, for my own note taking. Um, uh, you know, we use at Almanac a lot of Zoom, <laughs> a lot of Slack. So probably like a lot of companies out there, I don't think we're, uh, I wish we were fancier um, with some of our own tooling. Uh, you know, in, in the end, we believe that like great management shouldn't be hard work uh, and that the tools and the processes and the systems that we use should be like fast and easy and simple. And we've endeavored to build Almanac that way so that it doesn't take a lot of configuration, um, that it's that it can like automatically help your team get better without you having to put a lot of work into it. And I think probably our own tool stack reflects that, that same approach that rather than like buying a better tool, we just try and use the tools that we all use. Um, as well as we can. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think other tools in this camp are things like linear or superhuman where they're not trying to create like a different use case, um, but they're just trying to execute extremely well um, on a thing that we all have to do every day. Any tools you think are missing? Any space where entrepreneurs listening to this can go and build and complement and support kind of productivity and remote work, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I, I think. Uh, you know, you talked about the the lack of relationships potentially on distributed teams. I think there's a broader loneliness epidemic that's happening. Uh, it's not, um, you know, endemic to the pandemic. It's been, I think, it's a, a long term trend uh, that um, has been influenced by many factors. The collapse of a lot of social institutions in this country, which the book Bowling Alone is about. Um, you know, the rise of like suburbia, <laughs> uh, and I think this is a huge market opportunity because. The number one uh, like cause of death in the United States is loneliness. Like people, people die because they lack connections. And there's like lots of really interesting research behind this, like scientific, medical, behavioral research. Um, and and I think you know, as you were talking about, unless we figure out how to build relationships and community um, on the internet, both professionally for people at work as well as uh, for consumers. Like if you look at the impact of Facebook and Instagram, I think it's harmed mental health, <laughs> despite a lot of the benefits. And so I think there's a huge opportunity in this space for someone, for people to continue to experiment with new formats of how do we build connections um, between people? How do we create community? How do we reinforce identity? Uh, I think there's some really cool ideas with AI around like, how do you, how do, you do this <laughs> uh, where, where maybe the machine can talk back to you rather than another human? Or like, how does AI fit into this picture? I don't have any super bright ideas myself, but um, I think that this is like a multi-billion dollar, somewhat trillion dollar space because I think um, 
connection, belonging, purpose are uh, core human needs. And I don't think that they're being served very well in today's world. Uh, side comment, it's never been cooler to be an introvert than today. <laughs> um, what's, what's the most important thing you've learned as an entrepreneur? Look, you've been on this journey. Um, there's a lot of other people on journeys. Everyone's swapping notes and figuring things out, figuring things out. Like what maybe surprised you or was something that you think you would have wish you would have known before you took that first step? Yeah, I think in one word, it's patience. Uh, I think there's a phrase that it, it takes years to become an overnight success. And I think the dirty secret in startup land is that it often takes four or five years for a product to truly gain traction and hit an inflection point. A lot of the stories that are celebrated, uh, like whether it's you know Facebook or um, some of these like newer AI uh, startups, is that like oh I had an idea and then all of a sudden and I, and I built something and I launched it and then like then it worked. Um, and I think that's true in a in a small minority of cases, but I think in most of the time, uh, you know, founders have been working for years to make something work, even in cases where they make it work uh, quickly. It's not not their first company; it's their second or third or ninth or 10th try. I think that was the case with the clubhouse guys. Um, you know, I think it, it takes a lot of grit and persistence uh, to, um, to make things work. And I think success comes from just uh, like trying again and again and again and listening to your customers and learning from them and iterating and making small tweaks, like literally hundreds or thousands of small tweaks on product and marketing and sales until you figure out the exact right combination of factors that, uh, that lead to fast growth. How did you decide to do this, right? Like, I know every entrepreneur has some sort of calling. Um, what was your journey to get here? I know you've done a bunch of the standard. You went to good schools and had big jobs. Anything that stood out as a novelty or a unique experience that kind of helped shape this? Yeah, well, when people often tell me that they want to start a company, I say don't. <laughs> uh, unless uh, you can't do anything else job-wise, and you have an idea that just keeps you up every single night. Uh, and for me, um, you know, I think one of my strengths, uh, and I have many weaknesses, is that, is that I, I'm able to see around the corner and kind of see into the future. Um, and and I've, always, I've always had this ability throughout, I think, my entire life. I've always um, just been really interested in what the future holds and, and kind of bringing people along with me uh, on a vision. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of ideas themselves, I've always been really attracted to complex systems. My um, degree in undergrad at Duke, uh, I designed my own major around uh, systems change. And so it was like part, part engineering, part public policy, but I was really interested in like mm. why things work or didn't <laughs> uh, based on a number of factors and how individuals could affect change in those systems. And after Duke, I worked in a, a bunch of really complex systems. I worked in the federal government as part of the Obama White House. I worked at a nonprofit consulting firm. I worked at an airline. Um, you know, all, you know, none of those spaces are paragons of efficiency. They're, they're all um, pretty dysfunctional. At least that's what most people think. And I was just fascinated with, you know, why, um, why they were the way they were and how, how you can make it better. And I think uh, what we do at Almanac is, is think about the system of work that um, teams and companies are a part of and, uh, and how we can help um, people get better at it. Because if you can change how people work, um, it doesn't make just life better for them, which is important for us, but it can change how we as a society confront really complex problems and opportunities. It can help us solve problems better. Uh, and so, you know, I've always been obsessed with this idea of um, systems and improving them. And so 
uh, I always say like, I, I couldn't have just started any company. Like it feels like Almanac is that company um, that was uh, the right company for me because it's just kind of a, it seems like a natural consequence of um, all the experiences I've had in, in my life to date. Uh, it's funny you mentioned airlines in this. I have a buddy, I just someone I just met, uh, and the guy is going out in the process of trying to buy an airline. And I looked at him puzzled because I'm a software guy, you know, where when I hear big CapEx, I think bad. <laughs> uh, and I said, why, why airlines? And he'd been in the industry forever, so it wasn't out of the, it wasn't out of the blue. And he said, this industry has it all. Extremely complex operations, extremely complex financing, extremely complex marketing, pricing strategies. And I, I think he was looking at it as a Rubik's Cube, right? Uh, whereas I'm always trying to simplify things into like one dimension where there's less risk. Yeah. I think the complexity and the risk appealed to him. Uh, and so a uh, pretty fascinating perspective. Uh, I just want to double click. We're both Duke grads. Um, unfortunately, I'm a bit older than you are. Um, which I'm trying to undo. It's not working. Uh, and one of the things I've found is Duke has really ramped up. There's been a lot of people who have put in blood, sweat, and tears to making the university more entrepreneurial, uh, yeah. which I'm personally passionate about. There's a lot of great things to be passionate about. That's mine. Uh, one of the organizations uh, we've been involved with is uh, we started a group called the Duke Venture Community, which is probably going to rebrand soon as the Blue Venture Community. Uh, and the basic concept was there's a whole lot of VCs and entrepreneurs that have come out of that university. Uh, but I didn't find they were talking to each other. Uh, so have you, how do you think about the, your experience at Duke as an entrepreneur in hindsight? Um, you know, I was trying to start stuff on campus. I don't know if you were, uh, and now the community at large, I mean, there's, it's a great school. They've had tons of people out. Have you felt connected in to the peers from the university? Uh, yeah, well, I have a lot of love for Duke <laughs> and, uh, and I'd love to be part of your community. Um, you know, I, I have a, a bunch of friends. I was 2010, like my friend Zach started Plaid. There's been uh, a ton of, I think the, the, the vintage of Duke grads from um, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12 have gone on to start a, a bunch of huge companies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I think a lot about like what was in the water there. Like, why why does Duke seem to outperform when it comes to successful entrepreneurs? Um, you know, I, I think Duke it wasn't like an Ivy where um, like privilege and success were just handed to it because of like thousands of years of lineage. I think as a as an elite institution, it's fairly new. Uh, I think only really came about in the like you know 70s and 80s, and I think. There's like a practicality to the culture of the school and a hunger, <laughs> and I think it attracts people who um, like want to make it want to make a difference uh, and like yeah have have this ambition to um, to do something and and that combined with I think the social nature of the school where uh, yes it's never been a better time to be an introvert but um, I think like do you teach you teaches you how to work together as part of a team and a community. Um, like I, I tend to, when I was there, uh, for basketball all four years, which is crazy to think about, but I think when you were like 10, number seven or something, and I slept outside for three months, uh, and I learned a lot about like how to work together <laughs> with the people in my tent and the like people on Kville. Um, and I had many other experiences at Duke that were like that. Uh, and, and I, and I left probably a changed person. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud, <laughs> proud of being a, 
Blue Devil, and it's it's just uh, super cool to see people throughout uh, my community now, tech, who come from the same place. Adam, thanks for being on today. Really appreciate you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Very cool to have Adam on. Uh, always interested in good perspectives and best practices on how you pull off uh, team management, especially in this distributed world world we're in. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I didn't expect. I didn't. Based on how he kind of initiated the conversation, I thought he was going to say very little about building those in person relationships. But uh, he dove into a lot of really tactical um, and valuable recommendations on ways to go out and build. Uh, and create real connective tissue beyond the kind of work product. So anyway, uh, it was great to have him on uh, and stay tuned. We'll catch you next week.